Good morning, church. It's a great privilege for me to be here, and it's even a, a greater privilege for me to share from God's Word um, this morning. Uh, we're in Jonah, as it was said. It's a, a great book and a reminder to us. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Jonah. We're going to look at the whole first chapter of Jonah and hear what God has for us from that book. Before we read the text, I want us to just quickly do some English. It's not my first language, you can hear by my accent, so I hope you understand this morning's sermon. But uh, if I tell you what an opposite is, what would you say if I say stand up? You would? Sit down. If I say go, you would? Stay. If I say speak up, you would? Be quiet. What is the opposite of joy and peace? Worry, sadness, all of that. Now in today's text we see all kinds of opposites with Jonah. So as we read Jonah 1, I want you to listen to the opposites. The opposites of God instructing Jonah to to rise and go. Go speak out. Go to your, your enemies, the Assyrians to go and speak the truth of the gospel to them. God gives the instructions. Jonah does the opposite. Chaos follows, and God uses that to save people for his glory. So let us read Jonah 1 and look at three characteristics of our God that saves. Jonah 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now, what is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? 
for the, that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For those that are taking notes, our structure would be verses one to three, our great God reveals his instructions. Second characteristic, our great God reveals his presence. And then our third characteristic, our great God reveals his saving grace. But let's look at verses one to three. We know that throughout the ages, God has always used instruction to lead his people. Jonah was in a privileged position. He was a prophet. He heard the audible voice of God. He was speaking on behalf of God. We know God called Jonah. We read in 2 Kings 14, 25 that he even spoke and prophesied against Jeroboam II, the evil king that ruled the nation. But God spoke to Jonah. We see the Lord send a word with his prophet to this great city. He says, Jonah, listen up. Get up. I want you to go to this great city and call out and tell the people to repent. I'm going to destroy them. So go down there and tell them to repent. That great city, Nineveh. And Jonah must go and preach. Preach the gospel. Preach destruction. Preach that God is holy. I want to save people from that city. Now, who was Nineveh? The Assyrians occupied that city. Now, if you know anything about the Assyrians, think of the worst people you can think of. You nailed it. That's who they were. I mean, the Assyrians, their battle tactics was one of, we don't just charge the city and take the city. They would go in, abduct someone, torture them, and send them back to the city to manipulate the city. You see, you see if you want this to be done to you and your children and your wives, resist us. They were evil, ruthless. Now God says to Jonah, those enemies, go preach. Lord, tell them I'm going to send judgment, but repent. God says, Jonah, arise, go, give them this message. Now in verse three, what did Jonah think about this? Really? God? No ways. He did get up. Well done, Jonah. You're obedient. No. There you go. 
opposite side, you're going down to Joppa to go to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh, modern day, anyone know? It's the modern day Iraq. So Jonah, go to Iraq. What does Jonah do? No, he goes to Spain. Opposite. I'm not going that way. I'm going, I'm going opposite way. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord, it says. He's neglecting his responsibility as a prophet. Prophet equals speaking the word of God to the people of God. He decides, no, Lord, I'm out of here. Gone. But he's not just neglecting his job. God created human beings to worship him. And he is saving people to worship him. Jonah is obstructing this. I don't want you to save those people, God. I mean, look at them. I'm gone. Now, it's interesting. Jonah, the prophet, knowing the law of God, knowing the word of God, would know Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9, where God reaches out to Abraham and he instructs the same instruction. Abraham, leave your mother and father, your kindred, and go. I want to bless the nations through you. I'm going to multiply you so that all tongues, tribes, and nations can what? Worship me. And Jonah would have known this. Abraham was obedient, got up, left his kindred, went out. The Lord used him mightily to bring a nation to, to himself. Why? It's because God saves people to worship him. Now, just a, a side note. God told Jonah that the evil city, it says, Nineveh, the evil came before him. He, he saw it. Jonah, I'm going to flee from God. It's like, what? what? Jonah, you should know. Can you flee away from God? Another text verse that Jonah would know. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 8. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I'm out of here. I'm going to hide away. Jonah clearly didn't like what God instructed him to do. Quickly look at chapter 4 verse 2. And this is why he didn't like this, this instruction. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, it's, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew if I go down to Nineveh, God's going to use me to save my enemies. Not me, Lord. Not me. Those wicked people? No ways. You someone else. But don't forget against who Jonah prophesied against. The, the own nation's king, Jeroboam II. Who was just as evil. 
No, but we are the nation of God, you know? I mean, we were chosen by God. Those people? Mm, not so much. I mean, he even paid the fare for the boat to take him away. He invested in not going. Church, where are we in doing the opposite of what God wants us to do? When it comes to working for his kingdom, Lord, those people appreciated the scripture verse, James 2, the partiality. Lord, you want me to reach out to those people? Those poor and suffering people? Surely not. I mean, what can they get, give to the church? And when then we need to look after them when they get saved? That's going to put a bit of a strain on our budget, right? Walking through the doors. Smelly, prostitute. Well, I hope she doesn't sit next to me. Where are we in our reaching out? In where God instructs us to go and get people for his glory, to worship him alone. A little bit closer. This is where the reaching out. But how does God use a church to reach out? It's to shine the light. So we need to make sure that this place of worship, this body, this gospel community is healthy because that will shine out to those people out there that does not know Christ to come to Christ. Family, spouses, covenanting to one another to love and to serve one another. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Husbands, loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submitting to your husbands. Children, obeying your Lord, Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, because it's good for you. Why am I saying this? Brother, sister, if, if that is intact, if that is healthy and God glorifying, it'll show everyone out there who God is. It's a means to minister to other people. A little bit wider. Instructions to the church. God gave instructions to the church, just like he gave instructions to Jonah, to a church like yours to get out. But how do we breed this health here to go out there? Work and pray for the unity and the spirit of the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 verse 3. Do we pray for the unity and the peace in this body? In the bodies all over the world? I mean, that's, that's where Satan attacks. Let's pull this pastor apart. Let's divide this body. Because then they're useless to the world. I mean, what is the first thing the world tells you? Oh, look at these hypocrites. Oh, look at them. Do we pray for the spirit and the bond of peace? Caring for one another. Watching over one another. Encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. When last did you come alongside a brother and a sister? How's your Bible reading? Your prayer that you prayed, it encouraged my heart. You're in my heart. Can I pray for you? Can, can we just care for one another? Regularly attending church gatherings and faithfully praying for one another. Hebrews 10, 25. Rejoice in others' happiness and bear each other's burdens. Romans 12, 15 to 18. Giving to the church for the furtherance of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 
of fighting your own sin, Colossians 3 verse 5. Have you ever thought of that? That if you fight your sin, that you will grow in holiness, first of all. But second of all, it'll help you to be a witness to the, church, to the people outside of the church. Pursuing people with the gospel, evangelizing them, Matthew 28. And this all comes together in growing this gospel community in health and unity so that it can be a great vehicle to reach people out there. God clearly has instructions for his people. If this church is disjointed and not unified, brother, sister, I won't be surprised if the evangelistic efforts are not fruitful. It starts here and it overflows out there. To the person sitting here today that knows God, but is doing the opposite, can I plead with you to stop? He saved you for a purpose. Not for your own safety, but for his glory to bring people in. And if you don't, God will turn you and find you. And that leads us to our second characteristic of God, verses 4 to 16. Our great God reveals his presence. Again, we see in our text in verse four, it starts with, but the Lord. These poor sailors, imagine this. Okay, we're gonna deliver the salt and the tea and the whatever it is. Bam, thunder, lightning, wind, rain, waves. They didn't know what hit them. And it's not their fault. They had no idea God is coming in judgment. He hurls a great storm upon the sea, so bad that the ship threatens to break. As God threw more water and thunder, more cargo goes over the, overboard. Sailors just chucking things overboard. And where's Jonah? Fast asleep. I love this. First, Jonah went down to Joppa to find a ship to go down to Tarshish. Now he's down in the ship, laying down, snoring. Can you see it's just one step, falling, falling, falling. Snoring, fast asleep. And this is the first time the word fear come up. The sailors were afraid of the storm. Who caused the storm? It's God, right? He's the creator of heaven and earth. And this is the first stage of the, this, these sailors building a healthy fear of God. But first they cry out, hey, John, pray to your God. Uh, Lucy, or uh, just, just pray, whoever you serve. Uh, Craig, just, just, just pray. I'll, I'll, I'll pray, yeah, but whoever you serve, pray. I don't know who this God is, but he's, he's not pleased. We're afraid of the storm. Now the captain goes down to Jonah. And it's interesting that this captain basically uses the same words as God in verses one. It's like, arise, get up, what are you doing? We, we're drowning here, the ship's gonna break. Now in verse seven, Jonah walks up. I've got a bit of a, a wild imagination, but anyway, he, he goes up, walk up onto the deck 
And these sailors are like, listen, I don't know what's going on. Whose God this is? None of our prayers are working to our gods. Let's cast lots, whether it's dice or straws or we don't know that. But they need to know whose fault this is. We just need to blame someone, please. Are they trying to find out whose sin? Now, this is humorous. I mean, if you throw dice, you, you don't know whether it's going to be a six or a five or a three. I mean, but even God had control over the lots. He knew. I'm going to come after you, brother Jonah. And these sailors, okay, you pull one, you pull one, you pull one, and Jonah, you're going to pull the short one. We, there we go. And surprise, surprise, not really, pulls out, the lot falls on Jonah. And then it's like a Tommy gun, pardon the pun. Questions like, da, 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 da. who are you? Where are you from? Whose God do you serve? What have you done? It's like, what's going on here? On verse 9, it's interesting how Jonah responds to these sailors. He doesn't say, oh, I'm the prophet of God. No, he just says, I'm a Hebrew man. He knows. He's humbled. I'm from Israel. I'm an Israelite. And this is the second time the word fear comes up. Jonah clearly explains to them who God is. He's the creator of heaven and earth. You see these waves? You see the wind? He's, he's, he's breaking the ship? That's the God I serve. Wait, what? You are running away from someone that causes all of this? Are you not right in your own mind? But Jonah says, this is my God. I got caught. I did the opposite of God's instruction. Now all these men will die on my account. It's his fault. But Jonah leaves no empty space in the sailor's mind who God is. Verse 10, the sailors now are exceedingly afraid. So now it's, we fear a God. Now we fear Jonah's God. Still not specific. Because they know that Jonah is fleeing from the creator God. They're asking in verse 11, what shall we do to make this quiet? It's almost like Peter's sermon in Acts where the people said, what shall we do to be saved? Repent, believe, and be baptized. Similarly, yeah. Jonah simply tells the sailors, verse 12, leave the tea, leave the salt, throw me overboard. What? God is throwing down the storm, the sailors are throwing over the cargo. Now Jonah says, no, 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 just throw me over. A short story in December uh, 2021, a friend and I signed up to compete in the world's most dangerous motor, motorized, boats, mo motorized boat race in the world. Silly, foolish. I can still remember in day three, so the little boat, it's like a little dinghy, two pontoons blown up with a, just a, a wooden platform with this massive engine at the back. And we go and you jump over the waves. It's a four-day trip, 700 miles. And I can remember in day three, sea was a bit rough. 
I was holding the boat in the sea. My friend was waiting for the siren to go off. Then they'll run, jump in the boat, and off we'll go. Cloudy, it's okay. Siren goes off. Dwayne runs, jumps on the boat. Off we go. And it's rough, and it's fine. And as soon as we turned the bend, it was a nightmare. 20 feet swells. After a while, we couldn't see land. We saw a shark. And I could remember three times at least, I prayed and said, Lord, this is my day. I know it. I was foolish. I shouldn't have entered this race. It's done. I was throwing my body left, right, and center to stabilize the boat. Dwayne was speeding up and slowing down, up the wave, down the wave. Nothing else. Hopeless, ready to be capsized. We made it, obviously. I'm standing here today. But can you imagine what these sailors went through? Rowing. Come on, get in your, get in your back into it. Just, just row, throw over. And now Jonah says, just chuck me overboard. Brother, sister, it's fearful to fall in the hands of an angry God. Hebrews 10, 31. These men clearly did not want to kill another man. They cried out to God, let this man's blood not be on our hands. Now it's ironic because Jonah, he was willing for the whole city's blood to be on his hands. God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and destroy that, but go preach. Nope, that's okay, they can die. These foreigners, these heathen, pray to Jonah's God saying, we fear you. Jonah's God, please don't judge us because we can see you're almighty. Please don't judge us for killing this man. So they started rowing even harder. And then the Lord said, well, no, now I'm just going to pile it on some more. You cannot save yourself. Does that ring a bell? If you sit here this morning thinking that you can save yourself through rowing harder, I've got bad news for you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. No other works. And these men are going to find out. Only the instruction of the Lord and trusting in Him is going to save them. So all of a sudden, they leave the, the oars. They took Jonah and off you go, Jonah. In the sea. And it's beautiful. Imagine this, Jonah, let's go into this wave and then as Jonah lands in the water, it's quiet, peace. Doing the right thing might not be the easiest, but it brings peace between God and man. Are you someone running away from God? Are you experiencing the storm? Maybe it's the Lord going after you to bow the knee and do the hard thing and not putting trust in yourself, but putting trust in Jesus Christ. Now the fourth time in verse six, we see fear come up. These sailors feared the Lord exceedingly. This fear wasn't a shaking in your boots kind of fear. That was the first fear. This fear 
was an awe-inspiring, drop-down-on-your-knees, worship kind of fear. Worship-driven fear, worshiping this almighty creator. They offered thanksgiving sacrifices and made vows to God, praising the Lord for answering their pleas. We are safe. The Lord's not judging us from killing this man. We acted out of obedience. Their fear drove them to obedience and then to worship. It's a similar picture in Exodus 19 where God said, I'm going to appear to the nation at the mountain. Thunder, lightning. Wow, that's a great God. Almighty. And he says, do not come near the mountain. It's the same God. These sailors saw God's presence in the storm. They heard of his presence in Jonah's words to them, explaining who he is. And they bowed down in worship. I want us to appreciate the progression of fear and the fruit of this here. Each time we read about the fear the sailors had, they moved closer to the right fear of God. First, the sailors feared a God. It could be yours, it could be yours, it could be mine. We don't know. We fear this, these waves. Then secondly, Jonah comes up and is like, okay, so it's your God. Okay, we fear your God. Then the fear is based on upsetting his God. But now after that, they feared the God, their God. Both times they were afraid in God's presence and that revealed himself to them through the storm and through Jonah. Can you see that through their experience, how the right fear drives first the revelation in the storm, then the confession, then the conversion, and then the worship. That's the progression here. God reveals himself. You confess your sin and put your faith in him. Then there's a conversion in change in life, and then there's worship. And that is why God wants to save people for his glory, for worshiping him. Church, can we say that we have the right fear of God? Do you see God as this this God just punishing people? Or is your fear a healthy fear that that loves him, that you want to stop your sin, that you want to come and worship with a body, that you want to worship in song and in prayer and in reading and in growing in Christ. Not fear of works. Oh, I just need to do the next thing. It's a fear of I want to do the next thing for God's glory. Not doing the opposite of his instructions. Will you, like the sailors, bow down and worship God for who he is? Because you know him as a holy creator, only God. Worshiping him out of thankfulness. Here's another question. Who do you think of when you think of God? It's something worth pondering on. When you go today after lunch and after your nap, or as you fall asleep, just think about that. Who is God to you? 
But what about Jonah? Jonah is drifting off in the calm waves of the sea, which brings us to our third characteristic of God. Verse 17, our great God reveals his saving grace. We see God's grace at work here. Jonah, sacrificing himself, is now just like a dead piece of wood floating away. I mean, you can only swim for that long, right? And then you're going to go like a lead balloon down. Not only, God, not only did God save the sailors, but God sends this great fish to save disobedient Jonah. Even though Jonah was disobedient and rejected God's instruction and doing the opposite of his mission, God graciously saves Jonah, not for his own safety, but to send him back on the mission. Just a side note here, brother, sister, I want to encourage you that you can do nothing bad enough to prevent God from saving you. God can save anyone he pleases. Even a disobedient Jonah. But Jonah humbled himself. He realized, I've run away. I've upset this great creator God. Sacrifice me. God graciously saves Jonah and returned him to his mission. Now, we shouldn't get distracted about the fish. Jonah is not about the fish. I was taught in Sunday school, the little that I attended, it's the fish. It's not about the fish. It's about the great God that saves through the fish, through creation. I want us to go back to Jonah's sacrificial deed here. Through Jonah's sacrificial act, offering himself up for the lives of the sailors, God revealed himself as Jonah speaks through truth about him to the sailors, and he saves the sailors. Now God graciously saves Jonah through the creation and fish. But we know another man that stands in contrast with Jonah. His name is Jesus. Where Jonah did the opposite of God's instruction, Jesus did exactly what God told him to do. Where Jonah ran away, Jesus came to serve. Where Jonah hid away, Jesus came out boldly to proclaim the word. Jonah was a man, Jesus is still God. Jonah deserved to die, Jesus didn't. Jonah did not die, Jesus did. Jonah was not perfect, Jesus is perfect. The only similarity between Jonah and Jesus is that both sacrificed themselves for others. But Jonah's act was temporary. Those sailors would end up, land the boat, and eventually die. But if you're in Jesus, his death saved you for eternity. You will one day die physically, but you will be with him in paradise. Through the work, the sacrificial work of Jesus. Only God can save spiritually and for eternity. Jesus fulfilled God's plan for his creation to save people for himself, for his glory, and to be glorified. Jesus sacrificed himself, absorbing the judgment storm of God. 
for the ones that acknowledge that they can't do it by themselves. God saves those. Titus 2 verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Not that work saves you, but it's because you saved that you are zealous for good works. To go out there. It's just like the sailors and Jonah. They couldn't save themselves. Neither can any other person. Only those that have acknowledged that they cannot save themselves and they were sensitive, even that the Holy Spirit worked in your hearts to bow the knee and worship the God that we all know is a God that saves. Jonah spent three days in the, and three nights in the fish. Oh, we know that. Jesus, right? That's true. I know that you're a well-taught church. So I won't blame you if your mind goes there, which is true. But in this context, the readers of Jonah wouldn't jump to Jesus. I mean, they're just reading Jonah. Uh, Jonah comes after Micah, and it's a prophet, so it's Old Testament. So what's this connection? I mean, Jesus himself in Matthew 12, verse 40, tells us, and he quotes this. He's the example of death, burial, and resurrection. Well, that's New Covenant. That's New Testament. In the context of Jonah, it means that God showed Jonah grace in this miraculously saving him and preserving his life. Why? It is to give the readers a sign of God's saving grace so they can repent and turn to God, just like the Ninevites. They did hear the voice of God through Jonah eventually, still disgruntled. But they heard, they repented, they were saved, they were spared. And putting people to the fact that Nineveh repented and turned to God. Verses three, chapter three, verses six to 10. Now here's my imagination again. Imagine you're either a fisherman on a boat or you're a fisherman on the beach, doesn't matter. I don't know where Jonah was spat out could be in the middle of the sea and he got a bit of a wash or on the beach now you're rowing or you're standing and all of a sudden you see this big fish Blah. out comes a man and he walks i need to tell someone <laughs> this this story nobody's going to believe me but i'm going to tell them run off to Nineveh and you're going to this guy you sh you should have been there came out of the fish and he's on his way to tell us to repent and believe. You better listen. I just saw something miraculous. And it's the same what Jesus did. He came to preach the same thing to the Pharisees. I'm like Jonah. I'm the messenger. I'm the son of God. What? Never. I'm the guy that was spat out by the fish. Never. What are you going to do? Well, there's a message. Repent and believe. And we know what they did. The Ninevites, they did. They repented and believed. Not the Pharisees. They rejected Christ's message. They rejected the Savior. They killed our Savior. And thank God for that. 
My question to you today is hearing about God giving instruction, saving the sailors because of their fear and turn to worship, hearing that God saved Jonah through the fish, his creation, hearing that Jesus is God and he's the only one that can save you from death and sin. Will you repent and believe in Jesus, the only Savior? Will this make you turn and do what God tells you to do? To repent and believe and worship him through holy living. We know that God is merciful and gracious. He's the only one that can save. God rules over the storm, the boat, the fish. Will you follow God's instruction? Or will you do the opposite in running away from him? Try and row harder against the storm. And think you can save yourself. Will you do the opposite in not worshiping the great creator God? God will find you. Will you acknowledge God's presence and react in worshiping our great creator God? That is the question you need to answer today. Let us pray. Our great God, we praise you that you are a God that saves. We praise you that you made it possible through Jesus Christ. We praise you that we have the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be obedient to your instruction. Help us to bow the knee and go out and preach the gospel for more people to get saved so that your name can be glorified even more. Lord, we pray that you would help us to experience a good fear, a healthy fear, a healthy presence of you to drive us to worship. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see our own saving faith in you that you gave us and that that would motivate us to help others see the great God that saves. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.